This comes from, uh, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago uh, at Wright State Rock Campus Fellowship. We were looking, um, we're actually just going through an article about what makes the kingdom of God visible in our lives. Uh, and one of those points is worship. So uh, everybody was a visitor at some point, but we didn't always have visitor packets, I think. Uh, so in our visitors packets, this is one of the articles. Um, it's got by a guy named David Cornfield, and uh, he was here. He is part of what was the ARC, which is now the Table Fellowship, um, and I think he does a lot of overseas missionary missions, uh, specifically with pastors training. Um, and so I don't know uh, how we discovered the article. It wasn't part of our normal church life for a while, uh, and I think somebody found it in a Dropbox or somewhere in a folder or something, but it's, a, it's an extremely helpful article about, um, uh, and it's not like super theologically dense, there's not a whole lot of Bible verses or references, uh, but it's extremely helpful in thinking about um, or getting our heads out of pietism, uh, because it's just, uh, how do we see Christ's kingdom? How do we see, like when we look at a kingdom or a government or a society, of people today, you see them. They're real people. There's real things you see. Uh, and it's no different in Christ's kingdom. And so we're just going to look at the area of worship. Um, and so last time I talked at 9.30, I wanted to just, uh, you know, it's like really hard to just like come up with new ideas all the time. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a guy that's just like going to think about like new ideas. And I talked to Josiah, I'm like, what should I talk about? And we're like, sin. Uh, sin or Jesus, which ones are going to be this week? Uh, Josiah suggested, well, maybe you can do like a specific sin. And I'm like, oh, that sounds real personal and uh, might offend somebody. Or, um, but I really liked, I really felt um, a few weeks ago, which I guess would actually would have been closer to a couple months ago, that specifically Josiah's um, sermons on evangelism and Sam Chin, Sam Chin Poon's on worship uh, have been extremely important. And Sam, are you planning on doing any more on worship? Yeah. So hopefully, this is a conversation I maybe should have had with you before right now. Uh, hopefully, I'm not stealing any material. Uh, or you can fill in what I'm lacking. And so, um, I'm just kind of piggybacking on Sam Poon's <coughs> sermons on worship. And this is something we did, like I said, at, at Wright State a few years ago. And um, what we're going to look at is just the biblical patterns, the mandates of worship. We're going to look at some of the few reasons why I think we don't worship biblically and what is partially the solution. So let me pray, and then we'll actually get started. Uh, Father, we come here to glorify your name. May you reveal your word to us. Uh, may we worship you um, in spirit and truth here this morning. Uh, may you refine our thinking and our theologies and our entire lives, Lord, in, in reference to worship uh, of you through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so our kind of theme verse, I guess, is going to be John 4, 23 and 24. Uh, hopefully everybody has Bibles. We're going to look at a lot of Bible verses. This is a Bible study. And so whether you use your phone or you use your uh, pew Bible, or you use your personal Bible. doesn't matter, but it does help if you turn 
and read them with me. And I was uh, like the sword drills anyways. Not that you get any points from me. So in John 4, Jesus is, is in Samaria talking with a woman at the well. And verses 23 and 24 are as follows. Uh, Jesus saying, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Uh, and you can look at Joshua 24, says a similar thing. And so uh, the first thing on our outlines is um, that this, is, this might be like a no-brainer, but you really, the, the first thing that we talk about in worship is what is the object of our worship. And so obviously, God is the object of our worship. And he requires that we have a right attitude and that we worship him correctly. Meaning um, that we uh, not just worship as, let's say, the Pharisees did, uh, without the right attitude or without the right heart, but they had an outward form of worship. Um, and then the flip side is you can have a more correct attitude uh, and worship of God, but worship uh, in incorrect actions, which would, uh, one of the easiest ones to examine, although you would kind of say that it starts to defer from the object and the attitude, uh, and the object is kind of, I'm sorry, the action it's kind of third in line where if you're worshiping the right object, uh, which is God himself, and you have the right attitude, then your actions will be uh, more rightly rooted. But if you don't have the right object and you don't have the right attitude, then your actions uh, will not be true worship. Um, the main example being idolatry, where you start making idols. You've obviously gone uh, outside of the bounds of any orthodox and God's command, and you begin worshiping a created being. Uh, and then you usually do that. And you can look through the history of Israel where if you just look in like a progressive, uh, uh, like anti-narrative of like what not to do. And so it starts with idolatry and then the kind of height of where God um, takes the kingdom away from them and, and the dispersions is where they're like sacrificing their children on high mountains. And uh, that's not right worship, <laughs> not even close. Uh, and so that, all those, like your, how we worship kind of needs to continually be thought through and reformed and uh, just kind of like in a practical sense, like I have times where I'm like, I really feel the spirit moving and, uh, you know, just going off of what I've got here, it seems to be like a, uh, a more biblical form of worship. But if it's not sustained, if it's not ongoing and, and if it's not progressive, then it's not God's goal, right? Uh, because he doesn't want us to have just a few here and there times of good worship where we have nice, warm, fuzzy feelings in our heart, but he wants that to lead to a lifestyle of worship. And so uh, let's look at Hebrews twelve twenty-eight real quick. Which says, let us uh, be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And so that means that there's unacceptable worship, right? If we have to offer him acceptable worship, there's unacceptable worship. And so uh, that always starts uh, with worshiping 
God as the object of our affections and the object of our worship. Uh, and I don't see anybody writing that down, probably because that's a no-brainer. But in, if you would just like think through of like how many times do we come on Sunday and we sit here or we stand here and we sing, and we sing because everyone else is singing, or maybe you had a bad week, uh, maybe you didn't spend a week honeymooning in Florida and without work, and you're in a really good attitude, uh, <laughs> and maybe you had like a rough week at work or something, um, or something didn't go right at home, and you're not really prepared to worship, and we come here and we sing and we go through the motions anyways because uh, I'm not going to be a grumpy Gus and sit here and let everybody know that I'm grumpy because I'm here, right? And so we we go through the motions um, without having uh, kind of the right the right heart, right? And so uh, uh, one of the things that God indicates when we worship is that we're supposed to worship Him with all of our heart, right? Psalm eighteen twelve literally says, "Worship the Lord." Uh, with all my, he says, I'm worshiping the Lord with all my heart. Oh, we got Bible verses back there. Cool. Um, and Mark, in Mark, Jesus is condemning the Pharisees because he's saying, their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. And so, in a real literal sense, when our heart isn't in the right spot and uh, isn't, um, uh, when our heart is far from the Lord and we're worshiping, it's in vain. It's Jesus himself said it's useless for the Pharisees to, to worship him. It's not real worship, right? And then um, one we'll meditate on a little bit later, or we'll think about is Psalm 29.1, and it's also in Psalm 98.8, but I will read that one a little bit further than it is on the outline. Psalm 29.1, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So we'll kind of think about later, uh, ascribing to the Lord the glory due his name. Um, That's kind of incomprehensible, but it's worth a shot, right? Uh, there's a lot of things in Scripture where it's impossible for us to achieve, but we're called to progress forward. All right? um, I'm not sure if I could, in reality, actually ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Uh, number one, just I just don't think words could fulfill that. Uh, I don't think I could think of words eloquent enough to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Like what he is due and what he is owed I'm not sure a finite being could actually achieve, but I am called to give the old college try, so to speak, right? Um, and so 2 Samuel 7.26 talks about, this is in David's prayer um, uh, after the Lord comes and makes a covenant with him, where he's talking about magnifying the Lord. So uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about here this morning is like Sunday worship and singing songs. But um, we're going to talk about patterns of worship, which is, uh, here in a second, is a little bit, uh, worship in the Bible is not just singing songs. But that's how our, our English-speaking, speaking, uh, how us English-speaking people, we normally talk about, like, hey, do you want to worship? We're talking about, like, singing songs, right? And we're talking about stuff like that. 
And, um, but when we worship, when we're doing anything in, um, anything that magnifies the Lord, makes him greater, makes us uh, more rightly smaller and him more greater, we're magnifying him, right? And that should be the heart of worship. And so, um, uh, acceptable worship, uh, just plainly, is uh, we have to start with God is the right object. And um, I don't know, I just, this kind of comes out of like, uh, if you guys ever come and you're just worshiping and you're not really feeling it, so to speak, that doesn't mean that you have to feel it every time. But that is an indication, I think, that God starts to say, uh, and if you notice that, I'm sure some people come and they don't feel it and they go home and they don't think about it and they come next week and maybe they feel it and they don't care and they go home and I don't know, because I don't know your hearts. Uh, but if you're like me, I think usually when the Lord is, and you're mentally aware of like, oh, I'm not really feeling it, the Lord's indicating something to you that your worship has to be a little bit more rightly rooted, right? And it might be because you're not worried that God's not actually the object of your affection at the moment. And he's trying to get your attention to say, like, uh, I'd love to do a whole nother uh, Sunday Bible study about just, like, what Sunday worship is when we sing and, you know, using, like, Ephesians where we're singing, um, when we're worshiping uh, here on earth of what is the reality in heaven. Uh, but without getting off topic, um, I think that's God starting to indicate to you of like, hey, you need to pay attention. Something's wrong. Uh, something's off. And that's a good thing to pay attention to. And so let's look at some patterns in worship. And so uh, very quickly, there's, uh, just because I did this Bible study two times this week about patterns in the Bible, uh, you could reference our Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity series, Emphasis Zero, which is rediscovering the pattern. Um, that's a good, I don't know if we probably have a podcast somewhere online about that. But there's tons of patterns in the Bible. And so, um, like with, uh, so with marriage, there's a base prime pattern of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Which is a shadow of a heavenly reality between Christ and the church, right? That's a little bit easier pattern to understand because there's a, prime pattern to go off of, and then there's several examples, good and bad, of marriages in the Bible. And so uh, we don't necessarily get an easy pattern for worship in Scripture. Uh, one of the reasons is because what the English translates as worship or praise or ascribe uh, comes out in like 15 different Hebrew words. And uh, one of the principles in play in the earth is when you make it accessible for everybody, you kind of dumb it down. And so uh, English is that way. Uh, in, a, in a certain sense, uh, our English Bibles are kind of dumbed down because we don't get the fullness through the English language uh, that we get in the Hebrew. And so you'll get one word in Hebrew that means to like bow down and, reverent, um, and, and reverence to worship, and it'll be translated as worship, and you'll get uh, a Hebrew word that means singing songs, which we also translate as worship. And so they're two very different things, uh, but in the English we get the same word. And so we don't have, there is a prime pattern 
that we see that we're following the pattern of heavenly worship. Um, but that's a little bit harder to see in scripture. Uh, we don't have like, in the beginning, Adam sang songs and he sang two hymns and he chose a hymn from the first section of the hymnal and then he chose a hymn from the second section of the hymnal and he did it like this and you should copy that. Uh, because that's not what worship is scripturally. And so what we want to do is reroute our thinking to think biblically about worship. And so uh, some Hebrew words for worship mean serve. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough one uh, when you read it in the English because um, uh, I think I get it somewhere in here, somewhere on the outline. Uh, I made a note to myself about uh, some of the mandates of worship about when, uh, when Moses is talking to Pharaoh, let us depart and go out into the wilderness so that we may, uh, some translations say serve the Lord, some say so that we would worship the Lord. And so were they going to go out and sing songs? Yeah, they did. Were they going to go out and serve him and uh, set up a tabernacle and worship him? Yeah. Uh, were they going to obey his laws? Yeah. Were they going to serve him? Sure. And so we just get the word worship. And so... Um, And so worship, like we were saying, isn't just Sunday singing. When we look at the mandates to worship, we're going to look at what are some biblical examples of when people are singing and when they're praising. Um, but worship is this all-encompassing lifestyle of continually lifting up your hearts and praise and thanksgiving to God. And that comes out when you work. That comes out when you sing. That comes out uh, when you're making dinner. That comes out, it's supposed to be your whole life. And um, I don't want to cut to the, to the end, but that's why Paul can say in Colossians and Ephesians that we should sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. Uh, what we get is, and even in Scripture, um, one pattern that we do get with worship and singing does start in Genesis uh, uh, 2 and 4. And so this one's a good one where if you turn to it, you can visualize it a little bit better because uh, I don't know how they rolled it on parchments or scrolls, but I do know that our translators do a good job of, of giving us an idea uh, in our Bible. So turn to Genesis chapter 2, um, uh, 223. This is when, after Adam had fallen asleep, uh, and, and God takes a rib and creates a woman, and he, God presents Eve to, uh, to Adam. And you see in verse 23, like in my ESV, there's, it's, there's all this dense uh, paragraphing. There's a couple breaks to start a new paragraph. And then when Adam says, at last... Uh, this is at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and all that. It's sectioned off because it's a poem, or it's a song, right? So we do see that, uh, that, that, that poetry, that, that musical um, singing, is a, the, kind of the heightened, the lived expression of worship, right? Um, what is, does anybody know what hallelujah means? Praise the Lord. Does anybody know what hallelujah means? Praise the Lord. Yeah, praise the Lord. What does it mean? Praise yeah, it means praise the Lord, right? Uh, right, hallelujah just means praise the Lord. And do you ever see like hallelujah in scripture 
in the English without an exclamation point. No. I haven't looked at every single example, but this is just me. You can go home and do the homework, but I don't think uh, it ever doesn't have an exclamation point somewhere in the sentence. It's not like, uh, hallelujah, yeah. Nice to meet your brother, hallelujah. Uh, it's like they're shouting, they're excited. It's like, um, same thing with uh, Hosanna. Hosanna is like when they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's like, uh, yippee, <laughs> like woo. Uh, like it's just like something out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when we have an attitude and an worship in the Lord, we are going to sing. That is like the fulfillment of everything uh, that we, the fulfillment of all the worship in our life, right? Of, or what the, our lifestyle of worship is. Um, uh, on a practical note, that's why you can kind of tell like where you're at in the Lord of like, not just like whether you come here on Sundays and whether you're in the mood and, because uh, I could be like totally in the mood all week to like worship the Lord and have a good week and then I wake up on Sunday morning and uh, like, it looks like there's a cloud, you know, a couple miles away, and I'm like, man, this sucks. This stinks. Uh, like, my life is ruined. Uh, and that can ruin my day, because I'm a fickle human being. And, um, and it can throw off my day, because uh, that's who we are as human beings. And, but you can, as like a general like lifestyle, does like worship, do we... Um, I'm not very musically talented. If you sit next to me when we sing, uh, it won't be pleasant for you. Uh, you might just want to pray for me and say, Lord, bless him. Maybe, maybe Noel can like, give him more voice lessons, and maybe he'll finally get it. But, uh, you know, and, but not like whether we particularly are having a good Sunday or not, but whether, our life, like whether we want to sing, whether we want to praise, whether we want to worship, whether we're musically talented or not, is a good indication of where we're at in the Lord. Um, and so, uh, trying to get, to get back to patterns of worship, uh, does anybody know the next time we see a, a break in scripture where somebody, not God, is having a poem or a song? I'll give you a hint, it's in Genesis chapter four. You can turn there and look. It's that wicked guy. He killed a man. Two points for whoever's got the name. Oh, no. Not next guy. Next guy that killed a man. Lamech. There's a lot of guys in the Bible that killed a guy. And so, uh, Genesis 4, 23, Lamech says to his wives, plural, that gives an indication that he's not the greatest. Not the greatest. Uh, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, let Lamech's, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And so uh, what we see in this pattern is that as Adam was praising the works of God and what he had done and the fulfillment of, of God's work in creation, and Adam starts praising, we see after sin enters the world that Lamech is... Uh, praising that he's killed somebody. He's like, look at me, I've killed a man. He wounded me, so I killed him. Right? And he's in, in poetry form or in song form. Uh, this is the height of his heart of, of worship. And so 
when we see patterns and that there's multiple examples of scripture, um, I'm sorry, multiple examples of worship and singing in scripture, um, but the pattern is that out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth speaks and that you live a lifestyle of, of singing songs, of worship, of magnifying the Lord, and that comes out in, um, in various ways. Because sometimes in scripture, we'll see that they're not just singing songs, it's just like hallelujahs, like loud exclamations, like, and an individual or a group just starts like chanting, uh, maybe to some kind of rhythm or something, or some kind of beat, I don't know. Uh, uh, just like, um, blessed be the Lord for a steadfast love endures forever, and they're just like singing that for a long time, or, or yelling that. And so, um, uh, one of the examples of that is, and so just to give you an idea, uh, we won't look at it, but maybe you guys have this example um, already in your minds. Remember when David's bringing in the ark from, I think it's from Kiriath Jerom, and I think it's 1 Samuel 13, or that maybe it'd be 2 Samuel. It'd be 1 Samuel 13. Um, and he's, uh, even though he didn't consult the Lord, he says he's uh, worshiping with all his might, and they're bringing it on a cart, which isn't the right action in worship. And so, um, David starts singing and dancing, and then his wife, uh, who is Saul's daughter, uh, Michal, is uh, upset because David is singing and dancing, presumably unclothed, uh, in front of the servant ladies. And maybe she's got like a little bit right um, attitude. I don't know how most of you wives would feel about that. But, uh, but regardless, uh, David's worshiping the Lord, and she rebukes him, and then he rebukes her, and then God judges that and gives us the outcome of who was right because she didn't have any children uh, for the rest of her days. And so um, Michal was against David, um, not just for how he presented himself, but how he was worshiping. She was saying, you shouldn't worship like this. You shouldn't do this. And so uh, we all know about, like, in some fundamental circles, uh, people are like, you shouldn't lift your hands to worship, you shouldn't do this. And um, there's a, uh, I don't know how many other people follow the exact same movements I follow online, but there's movements for people singing the Psalms, uh, especially in reform circles. And I think that's great, but there's also a movement of people who are saying, saying you should only sing the Psalms. And so, uh, you can see how easy it is to not just um, get away from and use examples. You can use examples as examples, but examples are not patterns. Does that make sense? So, because uh, it's easy to take one example and say, this is now the pattern, and we're going to model our worship after that. Or very clearly in the, song, in the Psalms, it says, sing a new song unto the Lord. And so, if you're only singing the Psalms, you're disobeying the Psalms. Um, but there's nothing new under the sun, Stephen. Yeah, this has been going on for uh, millennia. The only thing new under the sun is singing new songs. Uh, and so one of the things we have to do with worship before we actually look at some of these examples is that we don't get uh, one prime pattern for worship besides the worship that's going on in heaven, which is why we're going to um, look at some of those in Revelation. 
uh, but we have all of these examples. And so some of these examples, people are celebrating. Some of these examples, people are mourning. And there's differences there. And so like when we get to um, the second one in the mandates for worship is shouting, that doesn't mean we should shout all the time. Right? It doesn't say you have to shout all the time. Um, and there's times when it's appropriate and it's not appropriate. But the point is, if there's not times in your life when you want to shout and praise the Lord, then you need to examine yourself to see what the problem is. Because that is a problem. Right? There's um, uh, mandates for, for clapping and falling down and for dancing. That doesn't mean every Sunday morning we have to go through the checklist and it's like doing the hokey pokey and it's like we kneel on this song and then we clamp on this song and then we lift our hands on this song and then we shout on this song and then we checked off our list and God's pleased and we can do whatever we want until next week. Uh, it's not like that, right? We know that. But if, there's, if you don't want to dance because you love the Lord so much, then there's, there's an issue. I'm not good at dancing. Uh, yes, um, everybody should know that one by now. Uh, I am not good at dancing. That's why Noelle requested that Deanna come over several times to teach us how to dance for our wedding. And I had my ideas, and they didn't work out. Uh, and so uh, you don't have to be good at it. The Lord doesn't require that you attain some level of anything. Um, well, just about anybody can be good at kneeling. I'd say just about everybody. There could be people that are bad. Uh, that could happen. And so he doesn't require that you be good at it, but the mandates are there and the examples are there to lead us and to say, are we worshiping in a biblical way? Right? And so um, we don't want to be like the Pharisees who... Uh, cut off people from worshiping biblically. And, we, and that gets into one of the hindrances why we don't worship biblically. But we don't want to be on the one side of the road saying, oh, these people are weird. Like uh, Daniel Williams is like laying down in, in the middle of the aisle and it makes me hard to, to sneak out and get my coffee during worship. It's so inconvenient. That guy's a jerk. Why has he got to do that? Uh, we don't want to be like the Pharisees and run on that side of the ditch and and halt other people, and we don't want to be, um, uh, a lot of times when we start uh, going, I don't want to say like going with our emotions, but we just running with it, and most of us are not on this side of the ditch anyways. Uh, I, don't, well, I want to know of anybody in our churches that they get so expressive or something that it starts to become not expressive, but uh, how do I word that? Um, What's that? Vivacious. Maybe vivacious, or in such a way you can uh, you can go with your feelings in such a way that it's unbiblical, right? If it leads you to unbiblical uh, worship, then your those feelings need to be submitted scripturally, right? Um, uh, and that always ends up in idolatry in some form. Uh, and uh, I don't think any of us are in in that camp. We're more in the camp of uh, we should see more charismatic, more vibrant worship. Um, so let's look at some examples before we run out of time. 
which is which we're getting in danger of. Uh, one of my favorites, Ezra three ten through thirteen. So this is after they had laid the foundation, after they had uh, left the first captivity, laid the foundation of the temple again. Uh, Starting in verse 10, chapter 3 of Ezra. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestment came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, singing and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for a steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord, because of the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundations of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shouts from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. Um, hope this doesn't offend anybody, but we're like a middle, lower middle class, uh, upward mobile, white church. We're not loud. Uh, come, to, come over to my house, which is one block away, uh, about... I don't know, it's over, uh, it's well over like a football field uh, from the Spanish church that sits on the corner. And on Friday nights, or I'm sorry, on Saturday nights, and I usually leave too early on Sunday, but they're usually still going by one or two on Sunday, and you can hear them inside my house. They're pretty loud. I kind of want to go there. Uh, I don't care. I don't even, I know it's a Spanish church, but I don't know if it's in in English or the services in Spanish, but I don't really care. I just want to go because that looks like fun, uh, and they're loud. And um, I've never seen the inside of the church, but or the people, but uh, they're shouting. They're making a. They're doing and they're celebrating just like they were here in Ezra. And the sound was heard far away. Uh, I don't know what the direct neighbors think about it, but uh, maybe it would be that like ongoing. I was. Kind of side note, kind of personal, here's what's going on in my head. Uh, you often think about, well, wouldn't that disturb the neighbors? Yeah, it probably would. Uh, they should be at church anyways. Uh, <laughs> right? Maybe. I always think that like, there's probably, like because I live in East Dayton in the ghetto, uh, that there's probably like somebody who's like hungover or drunk who like wakes up every Sunday morning and is like cursing those loud Christians for praising God. And uh, that's their problem. Uh, they're just obeying the Lord. And so I like to think about that. Uh, anyways, let's go to Revelation 4. Let's look at some examples of heavenly worship or when there's visions of heaven. Did I keep on the outline? Are you guys, the ones I'm reading, are they in bold? Re- Revelation 4, 4 through 8, or 8 through 11? Yes. I can't remember if I put those in bold. All right, Revelation 4, 8 through 11. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes and all around within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. There's an exclamation. 
And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the Lord, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And let's jump in the same scene to chapter 5, verses 11, I'm sorry, verses 8 through 14. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And so when we were looking at the pattern of worship, uh, the pattern of worship is in heaven, there's continual, ongoing worship, praise all the time. So they worship and then sing that song, and then they bow down and worshiped, and then they cast their crowns and worshiped, and then the four living creatures say amen, and the elders again fall down and worship. Let's worship some more. All right, let's look at, uh, let's get that First Chronicles 13. That's when David is bringing the cart in the first time from Kiriath Jerum, and he's worshiping with all his might. Uh, and then the second time when the cart comes from Obed Edom's house, he's worshiping again, right? Um, and then let's go, let's look at the mandates of worship real quick. Just to give an example of, like I was saying, we don't have to do this every time we culminate our worship in praise and singing. But if we're not, then something's, if we're not doing it sometimes, then something's surely wrong. And so Exodus 15.1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord. Right? I like songs that are songs that saying I'm singing. <laughs> Sounds redundant, but uh, it's biblical. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Um, this will go a little bit with the second one. Let's look at Psalm 42, uh, the next one, shouting, Psalm 42, 4. <clears throat> These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I long to go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And so, uh, one thing that um, our modern evangelical worship has done is, in both 
the Exodus 15 and the Psalm 42, they're remembering something the Lord has done, and then they're singing and shouting for joy and exclaiming how awesome God is. Uh, we can do that in Scripture easily, right? There's the Song of Moses that talks about that. Uh, all of, you know, you look at in preaching format, when Stephen gets stoned, it's remembering all of what God did through Israel. But one of the reasons why God put us in community is because we can remember things that the Lord specifically did for us. Uh, uh, and we easily forget about those things. Uh, does anybody remember, not to, I don't think this would put anybody on blast, but, or I don't think the Hagers would feel bad and they're not even here. But does anybody remember when Benjamin was on a feeding tube? That's crazy. Uh, look at Benjamin now. You can get, it's his birthday. Oh, that's the twins' birthdays. Praise the Lord. We should shout later. Uh, right? Like, there are things in our community that God wants us to remember. You can remember, like, remember when Stephen had a ponytail? <laughs> like, praise the Lord. He's been redeemed. Uh, some of you remember that. Others would have to go deep in the dark recesses of Instagram to find that one. Uh, right? Like, those are usually, like, shouting, you know, a lot of the examples in Scripture, they're shouting because they've remembered what the Lord has done, or the Lord had just given some type of victory, and they're not like, oh, praise the Lord, yeah, let's keep, keep it going. You know, they're, uh, they're, like, super excited, they're loud, they're expressive, um, one of the reasons is, uh, I don't know, this is just my way of thinking, so don't take this as this is what the Bible says, but you're trying to get your voice heard in heaven, right? Uh, so it's got to travel a long way. So you've got to be loud. You've got to project. Uh, we know God can hear us anywhere, even in, the, even in Sheol. He is there. But the idea is our praise is lifting to God. Uh, we want to make sure that he hears us. Uh, not, don't think about that untheologically. But when your heart is so filled with joy, you're just like, you don't just say, oh, thank, thank the Lord. Praise God. And just go on with your trip yourself. You're like overcome uh, with excitement. And then so out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks again. And so when there's an abundance, uh, what happens like with... Um, I don't know, with an air tank or with a squirt gun or something that's under pressure, that has a lot of pressure, does it just like drip out? It like shoots out, right? And so when there's a lot contained in, you, in your heart and you release that valve of your mouth, it comes out loud, right? What do us guys do when we're frustrated uh, and we've been holding it in? It comes out in a quick, uh, like, ah, blah, or we hit our thumb with a nail or something, or or something happens, it comes out with like, it's louder and more expressive than normal because it's a, your mouth is a purge valve uh, for bad and for good. All right, and so lifting hands, let's go to Psalm uh, 28.2. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Um, and so again, our body is not connected or is not disconnected from our spirit or from our heart and what's going on on the inside. And uh, most of the time, it doesn't say whether they're lifting their hands like this or they're lifting their hands like this or they're like this or it's one hand or what they're doing. It does, just says, I lift my hands. 
Uh, so maybe there's two. Um, and so, but what is the psalmist saying? Hear my voice and please for mercy. He's asking the Lord to hear us. And so they're lifting their hands in an expressive format of like, Lord, please, like, I'm down here. Where, where are we lifting our hands to again? Heaven, right? It's going up. We're lifting our hands to God. Uh, and most of the time in Scripture, when there's lifting hands, they're asking the Lord to hear them. Or it's not usually like loud shouts of joy and exclamation, just generally speaking in Scripture. It's usually asking the Lord for help or to hear something, um, and they're out here like receiving or uh, or begging, essentially. Um, one of those, uh, I think it's this one. It would have to be this one. I put the note by it. Um, well, I'm sorry, it's not in this verse. Uh, one of the Hebrew words for praise literally means uh, with outstretched hands, and um, and so that's another example of the English kind of dumbing it down where we don't get the full meaning of it. But one Hebrew word we translate as praise is literally that we're, we're praising, we're outstretching our hands. Uh, kneeling, Psalm 95, 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Uh, that's another one where we... Um, when Abraham, I think it was Abraham, if I'm remembering, remembering it rightly, it says he went and worshipped. Uh, it literally means he went and, I think this was after, right before uh, 18, chapter 18 in Genesis, maybe that would be 17, uh, right before uh, the three visitors meet him before Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, when it says he worshipped, it means he was kneeling down. He was the one, what do we do when we kneel down? Who do we kneel down to? We don't kneel down to anybody. We're Americans. Uh, we don't have any king. Uh, who does the rest of the world <laughs> kneel down to? Kings, people above them. You don't kneel down to somebody who's below you, right? Uh, and so kneeling down is a form of worship that we see in Scripture and as a mandate because we're saying that, we're literally saying with our bodies and expressing that God is the greater, right? Um, I hope everyone has a, and same thing with falling prostrate, falling down, face down. You can read about that in Deuteronomy, um, where sometimes it just doesn't make any sense logically to think through, but you're just like, I'm so overwhelmed with something from the Lord, I'm just going to like lay down and worship the Lord. And people are like, well, that's not respectable. can't do that. Uh, it blocks the pew. i got to get my coffee in the middle of worship. Uh, no, like that's what happens and when people are so overcome with like, I don't know what to do, I'm just going to like lay here and worship the Lord. Um, because we're short on time, clapping, Psalm 47.1 says, clap your hands, all you people. So, clap your hands, all you people. Uh, I suggest that someone like John Luke or Sam keep us on beat, uh, just to make it a, maybe a little bit better sound. But, uh, musical instruments, uh, Psalm 149.3 talks about uh, various musical instruments and also uh, dancing in one, Psalm 149.3. And so real briefly, um, some of the reasons I think why we don't worship biblically, uh, and when I say that, I mean just here on Sunday morning. I don't know what you do in your home, so I don't know if you worship biblically. Uh, I'd have to talk to you about that to know. Um, but what I mean is just here on like Sunday morning worship, 
why we aren't as expressive and why we don't, um, why we keep the more pharisaical form of respectable worship, uh, which is not respectable to God, is number one, fear of man, or because we're bound up. And uh, how many people would attest to who have regular patterns of worship at home? My worship at home, alone in my room, looks way different than when I worship here. Uh, I'm usually not like crying and weeping and kneeling here on Sunday mornings. Um, but usually, and a lot of times, if you're like me, it's because you're like, well, there's other people here, and I'll try to shut my eyes and think about not, there's not people here, and I'll try to just like worship the Lord how I really want to, but then I'm closing my eyes, and now I'm thinking about all the people who are looking at me. And, uh, no one's looking at you. Um, Joshua 1, 8, and 9 uh, says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Uh, says, be careful to obey, uh, to meditate on a day and night to, to obey. All that says, for the Lord will bless you. Do not fear and do, do not be dismayed, right? Do not fear, do not be dismayed. Uh, do not fear to obey the Lord, is what he's saying. Uh, don't be scared to obey the Lord. Um, I'll just kind of reference this. First Peter 3, 6 talks about that. We shouldn't be fearful of things that are frightening. Uh, so with the fear of man, there is a real fear. I have a fear of rejection. I don't want you people to reject me. Uh, I like you people. You guys are nice. You don't kick me out uh, yet. Uh, you allow me to get up here and occasionally talk. Uh, and nobody throws things at me. That's nice. I like you guys. Uh, and so fear of man is, in one sense, really a frightening thing. It's a real fear. We really have it. but. Uh, the solution is, number one, obey the Lord, and number two, uh, realize that your fear is illegitimate. I don't think anybody is going to reject you for worshiping the Lord, for raising your hands, for shouting. Um, there's certain people I like to be uh, near during Sunday worship because they are more expressive, and they're loud, and they shout, and um, oftentimes they, they shout or say things that aren't even in the songs, and that's even better. Um, Low theologies is another reason why. Sometimes, if you guys are like me, I grew up in a church where just nobody raised their hands. Nobody uh, did anything expressive. Nobody uh, did anything unrespectable. So Psalm 29, 1 and 2, ascribe uh, to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and praise. Give the glory, do his name. And so when we worship, we're trying to, as much as we can, give the glory that God is owed. And that's usually not, um, and because our hearts aren't separated from our bodies, that's usually just not this like quiet, solemn, like I'm gonna worship here and sing the songs and read the screen and think about what's for lunch. Uh, right? Um, take time to meditate on like, how much glory is the Lord owed, right? Just think about that for the rest of your life. Um, and then the last one that I think is the spirit of the age, the apathy or relativism that we make our experiences the pattern. And because I grew up in this type of church where I did this, then that's how I normally worship. But nobody cares. Uh, God doesn't really care. And because um, he gave us the scriptures, he gave us your church to bring you to a certain spot. And, um, and that's good. But to make it your pattern of worship uh, would be unbiblical. The pattern we have here on Sunday isn't the pattern. 
That's not the biblical pattern. Uh, we're working towards a more biblical form of worship. So don't even make our worship the pattern. Right? And so what's the solution? Uh, let's quickly go to Psalm 103. Uh, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And forgives all, who forgives all your iniquity? Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? Who satisfies you with good? So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And you can run... Uh, read essentially the same thing in Psalm 104. Uh, same idea, 1 and 2, and the last verse. And so remind yourself of, we're, we're forgetful beings. Remind yourself of all that the Lord has done. Uh, in, not just like in general, but like if you can't sit down and for five minutes and think of like about 100 things the Lord has done, um, maybe you need help. Ask somebody else uh, that knows you well. But remind yourself uh, he forgives all your iniquity. Remind yourself of how deep your sin is. There's a good, <laughs> you can probably take two minutes and think of a hundred things, uh, if you're like me. Uh, and remember what the Lord has done for all your iniquity, who heals everything, who redeems you. He's the one. And so remind yourself of these things. Cause your, your heart and your mind to be filled with uh, the works of God. And then Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19 talk about singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. So the solution is remind yourself of what the Lord has done. Um, think about it biblically. What's the biblical forms of or examples in worship? And then do it. Sing. Receive from the Lord. Sing. Be joyous. Uh, sing hymns and spiritual songs. Um, and so my hope is that we continue to have a mindset of traveling into more biblical worship and everyone's looking at me like, because it's time to close. So let's have some awesome worship today. Uh, let's remind ourselves of what the Lord has done. Uh, Father, we thank you through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.